I'm Spencer Clark, and it's been seven days since the last patch. I'm here to guide you through the week three patch. This week, I'm joined by winner of our Sony prediction game, Jordan Jones Brewster. And not only did I win that way, I won because I got vaccined. My PlayStation 5 came. I'm just winning all around. It's a, it's a good week. It's a good week. Sounds like it. Tying with yours truly for second place, Kaylee. I'm deeply sorry about my predictions because they were all lame as shit. My brain just refused to work. I can't be clever all the time. I don't know. Most of the time. Wow. Is this podcast just a platform to abuse me? Is this what Zyger feels like? That is exactly what I feel like. No, this is for Zyger. I'm not a Zyger. How dare you? (laughs) Treat me like a Zyger. Speaking of Zyger, he came in last. Unlike the polls, he continually rigs on Twitter. How you doing, Zyger? I'm doing great. Who would have guessed that Ratchet and Clank had a release date already? Like, no one could have seen that coming. Amazing. When he (laughs) tweeted out that his prediction was a Ratchet and Clank release date, it made me Google to make sure I wasn't crazy that Ratchet and Clank was coming out this fucking year. No one could have seen it coming. No one. I guess. We see Ratchet and Clank at the state of play. We did not. We did not. Okay, cool. I was like, wait. Spring is on the way. The weather's warming up, and so is the news. This week has opened the floodgates on announcements and disappointments, so let's get into the scrum. First up, Analog, maker of all-in-one retro gaming console Pocket, has laid out a clear definition of what limited quantities versus limited editions means to them. They've also set a stringent policy for what they plan to do about scalpers. Find out more on their support documentation linked in the show notes. To be clear, limited quantities means... We don't have a lot now, but we will get more unless it's a limited edition, meaning once it's sold out, it's gone. Next up, Matt T.M. Kim over at IGN reports Illinois lawmaker, Democrat State Representative Marcus Evans Jr. wants to ban the sale of violent video games like 2003's GTA V. This is sparked by a doubling of carjackings in the city of Chicago during the 2020 pandemic. Setting aside this law doesn't pass established Supreme Court precedent, a 2011 Brown Entertainment Merchants Association decision that said video games are protected by the First Amendment. Stunts like this give the industry a real pass on discussions about how it markets hyperviolent military and war propaganda to children, a discussion I'm sure we'll continue to have on this podcast. We've got a Sony rock block headed your way. They started out the week by letting us know the existence of new PSVR hardware via PlayStation blog post by Hideki Nishino, an interview by Robert Leadham with Jim Ryan in British GQ. Next, they hit us with a state of play where they showed us Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time for PS5, Housemark's new game Returnal, multiplayer dodgeball game Knockout City made a second appearance after being shown at last week's Nintendo Direct, we were then shown action brawler Sifu, Hyperlight Drifter's creator returned with Solar Ash, the horror franchise that gives Michael Myers a run for how many lives it has, Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach, was shown. Next up, platformer Oddworld Soulstorm showed us gameplay and gave us a sneak peek of what PlayStation 5 Plus owners will see for their free game in April. Then we saw Kenya Bridge of Spirits and Arcane Studios Deathloop. They ended the Direct with Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade, a PS5 upgrade, and locked DLC to hold us over until Part 2. Bloomberg News' Takashi Mozuku also broke that storage upgrades and higher fan speeds are headed to the PS5 this summer. We'll touch on this ahead in free play 
in a little bit. Henry Cavill's causing a scene on Instagram when he showed some blurry text that the internet almost instantly decoded as the Wikipedia for Mass Effect 3. Is everyone's favorite Witcher headed to the stars in a live-action Mass Effect show? Or will we be hearing his dulcet tones on the recently announced new Mass Effect game? Time will tell. Thanks to Shinobi602 for letting all of Twitter know. Activision has some bad news for base model PS4 owners. Via Jordan Ullman at IGN, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War may no longer fit on a 500 gigabyte hard drive. You heard me. One game, over 500 gigabytes of space. If Cyberpunk 2077 wasn't causing me to question the veracity of Sony's certification, letting developers lock a whole console out of updates for a game that they've already paid for really has me wondering what they're doing. Hey, Zyger, is this the first time a major platform holder has done this? It is not. In 2019, 2K publisher of NBA 2K 2019 released their game, and that game alone was 32 gigs, and it needed an additional 5 gigs of internal storage. And, if you know, the Nintendo Switch only has 32 gigs of internal memory, so you had to buy a memory card additional with the Nintendo Switch, at least 32 gigs. And every NBA game after 2K19 also had the same problem. Crazy. In sadder Call of Duty news, Brazilian Call of Duty mobile player Ingrid Sola Oviero Bueno de la Silva was murdered by a male fellow Call of Duty player. Her tragic death comes at a time when femicide is on the rise in Brazil. Before her death, she was active with Battle Girls, an organization that was supporting safe spaces for women in esports. Jordan, you brought this story. Yeah, I think this is a problem that's representative of a large issue in games where marginalized people, children, aren't physically safe and it's becoming more of a problem as of later in the years. We have this terrible story here. We have stories of sexual misconduct at trade events, in esports events, at Evo. We have GDC every year. There's a network of people that are known as like safe people to come to when someone feels unsafe. It's kind of building and building. And it's not a thing that we're taking into consideration enough as an industry to protect our people. I think that's something that we're definitely going to talk about in a larger scale at this podcast later. Definitely we will be. After the disastrous launch of its transphobic game, Cyberpunk 2077, Polish developer CD Projekt Red announced that its anticipated second patch for the game would be delayed after the company experienced a cyber attack in January. The patch that was supposed to come in February has slipped to the back half of March. The game is still not for sale on the PlayStation Store. Pokemon Company graced us with a Pokemon presentation where they showed off new Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, and Pokemon Legends Arceus? Arceus? No, 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 no. I've pronounced it Arceus my whole life because I'm stupid. They said Arceus every time, like Latin style, hard C's only. Okay. Like Hail Kaiser in Fallout New Vegas. Okay. I don't know what's right, but they said Arceus every time. It's fucking with me. I haven't stopped thinking about it since. I would hope the Pokemon company's right, so. Right? Like, if they say it's Arceus, it's Arceus. So more about this nostalgic-filled presentation in free play. Also, to touch back on last week's quality assurance topics, Gaming Community Reset Era has banned all promotional content of Hogwarts Legacy from their site. I'm sure we'll talk about this as we get closer to the launch of the game, but find out more from the Reset Era thread linked in the show notes. How does it feel to be an influencer already, Spencer? I mean... You did this. You single-handedly did this, and no one will convince me otherwise. (laughs) I'm glad they aren't doing it. I think the way they phrased it in the thing was, we are not going to be a part of the hype cycle. And I think that that is the important thing. I think you can report on things and not make hype for them. 
I think it perfectly encapsulates everything we were saying last week in case you needed proof that we're all geniuses with our fingers on the pulse. (laughs) And that's it for the scrum for the last week of February 2021. But that's not all the news that happened this week. A lot of news seemed to converge on the reorganization or cancellation of studios projects and the problems that contribute to a poor quality of life for developers in this industry. So let's get into the quality assurance where we're going to talk about how transient game development is and break down the stories that highlighted that this week. We had six stories that started this off and it was Bloodlines 2 gets delayed indefinitely. They didn't really give us a time schedule, but the bigger part of that story was the developer was fired. So the publisher was like, we're going to get a whole new dev team to come fix this game. As someone who watched their other favorite tabletop RPG became a complete disaster when Cyberpunk was launched. I'm kind of sad that we're going to see that with this. Anthem Next was canceled by EA. They say it's for like streamlining of production. So they canceled that. Bioware removed multiplayer live service aspect from the Dragon Age game. I think that Kaylee's very excited. EA woke up and chose violence. I think that might be just the end of year dump, which is a very real thing. The one I think that was the shocking to most people this week was Studio Japan is being reorganized. The only team that's making it out alive is Astro's Playroom. Everyone else is getting moved out of Studio Japan, which is, I think, a byproduct of PlayStation moving its headquarters to Redwood City here to California. The final news story this week that we can go over is Techland. It's come out that Techland's not a great place to work, but a lot of the problems that Techland has, I think, are a lot of the problems that contribute to all the story closures, all the stuff we've seen in the stories above it. Every year, there is a mass amount of layoffs, mass amounts of studio closings that happen at game studios. It's part of the unfortunate territory that comes with both being an entertainment industry and a tech industry, what happens to both of those individually, we get it all at the same time. But I don't want it to be forgotten that while these things probably would have happened at some scale, the pandemic, I said this last week, I'm going to keep saying it, this pandemic just fucked over so many studios. Yeah. And how everyone was able to even develop or try to develop or do a QA or play test or iterate. I'm thinking lots of things getting canceled makes sense because of how if a game's not working and you're trying to figure out how to restructure your organization to come out on top when the remote setting is like we can't afford to keep going this week let's move to something that we think can work i don't agree with that that's like stabbing creativity in the chest but it's a thing that i so anticipated and i think it's going to be a thing we're going to hear so much more of this year as time progresses this is the end of the fiscal year for this whole thing so we're going to get this news rolling out in the next two months or so When the pandemic happened, I initially thought Anthem Next was going to get canceled. And it's really sad because Anthem was a game I really wanted to do well. I wanted it to succeed. I wanted Bioware to get a win after what was Mass Effect Andromeda. It was a fine game, but a majority of people did not like it. Anthem was their next big IP, and it never got that Final Fantasy XIV of Realm Reborn moment. It just kept getting all of its updates delayed, pushed back all of its in-game content cut. They had a plan for about a year, and they were silent the entire time, but they had a plan, and it just did not come out, and now EA is just cutting it off, not giving it that Final Fantasy XIV moment, and Anthem is just dead now. When it started, I saw this happening. I didn't want it to happen, but it was one of those things that just feels inevitable because of EA's mishandling of their studios and their whole EA-ness of everything. 
Yeah, I think that with Anthem Next, it's really strange, too, because they had a community that was like No Man's Sky, where the No Man's Sky community has been like, you can do it. We're just waiting. The Anthem subreddit was pretty much, they're going to review Anthem Next. They launched a pretty decent social media campaign to be like, hey, we're here. Hey, EA devs, we love you. EA, don't cancel this game. And then it gets canceled anyway. I think my biggest problem with the EA canceling of Anthem Next is that it is just the continuation of the same pattern we've seen from EA. Mass Effect Andromeda had to be a bad game because we had to pull teams off of it because Anthem really needed everybody. Now Anthem has to die on the vine and like the next news story we're going to get about Anthem is Anthem's servers are shutting down, right? It has to die because we just decided to pivot and change Dragon Age for the third time. Kaylee. I know you like Dragon Age. Do you have some thoughts about it? So here's the weird part in all of this news. Honestly, if you were to be a Dragon Age stan slash apologist, not that I am, but if you were to be, all of this kind of paints good news for Dragon Age 4 if you're crazy and an apologist and a stan, of which I am not. What I mean by that is Bioware removed multiplayer from Dragon Age 4. I don't want my precious dev time taken up by multiplayer. I know a lot of people loved multiplayer in Dragon Age Inquisition. Some people played multiplayer in Bioshock 2. That doesn't mean that I wouldn't have rather have had those resources going into the main and single player experience. I don't like multiplayer games. I'm a shell of a person. So for me, you're removing multiplayer so that you can devote all your resources to making a great single player experience? Fuck yeah. So that's already good news. Then... Anthem Next is canceled. Now, that's horrifyingly bad news. But if you were a Dragon Age stan or apologist, of which I am not, that also means that Mass Effect, they fucked. This new IP, they fucked. The only goodwill this goddamn studio has left is Dragon Age. It was like Mass Effect Andromeda needs to do well because Mass Effect 3's ending disappointed people. And then it bombed. So then it was, well, shit, now Mass Effect's kind of got that sour taste in its mouth Game of Thrones fans know so well. So now Anthem needs to be like a new IP for them. And then they just left it to wither and die. So now the only thing they really have in their back pocket that'll make fans happy, which is why Dragon Age 4 got that little teaser when Andromeda bombed because when in doubt, bring out Dragon Age to make the people clap. Bring out the Eggman. <laughs> bring out the Eggman. When in doubt, break glass for Eggman is just like a little display in their office. Now it's to the point where their back is against the wall. If Dragon Age 4 is not a good fucking game, what does Bioware do? It is the end of Bioware if this game isn't good. So like an optimistic apologist slash Stan, which I am not, would be like, it has to be good or they're going to die, which means it's going to be good. I am not that person because I realize that this game has to be good or Bioware is going to go the road of all those other great studios that EA murdered and it's going to get fucking shuttered. But I don't think that means it's going to be good. I think it means that everybody who works there's lives are going to be unimaginable hellish crunch and 
uncertainty of job security until this game is out. That's what I think. So just kind of to, to expand how all of these news stories tie together and to really discuss the transience inherent in game development and what it does to the people in it and how the people making games having horrible lives because the way we make games is horrible and not conducive to living good lives means that the games aren't as good seems pretty obvious, but we're not really talking about that. So to, to get into how Techland kind of reps into these, because most of these are just, oh, this game got canceled. Oh, this game got changed devs and this dev got fired. These are all development issues. What we have at Techland is a little bit different in the sense that Techland's problem wasn't just coming out with a bunch of mediocre zombie games long past the mediocre zombie game craze. It was a perfect example of just systemic, obvious, moral, and ethical fuck use. So for people who don't know, Techland is the game that made Dying Light 2 is the one that they're working on now or did that come out? I never pay attention to Dying Light. I get Dying Light and Dead by Daylight confused all the time because I'm a shitty person. I thought Dying Light 2 was their upcoming game. You did Dying Light and that gave them some love and before that they did the Zombie Island series. Dead Island. Dead Island. Dead Island. Dead Island. Yeah, it was a generic zombie game on an island, and it had a really cool trailer from E3. If you remember, it was like the you know person's jogging, and there was really good music, and then it looked like it was going to be a really cool take on a zombie game, and then it was just like generic zombie killer on an island. And then the second game, famously, had a collector's edition that was just a torso of a woman in a bikini, and that was it. And it was like, that's a little tasteless and kind of objectifying and sexist. And they were like, oh, shucks, golly gee, we didn't think of that. We just thought it was a super cool zombie statue. And they got some flack for it. But then they got like kind of a little bit more love and critical acclaim back when Dying Light came out and was decent. So people have been paying attention to them for Dying Light too. Unfortunately, the studio itself is a horrible, toxic workplace culture, the likes of which we've seen over and over again. Looking at you, Studio Bondi, people would turn in projects and the feedback would be like, that's too gay. But more strong pejoratives than I'm going to say on this podcast. Let's put it that way. Women were constantly sexually harassed. The CEO had a picture of a naked woman with a cheetah in his office. And when it was pointed out that this might make some of his female staff uncomfortable, he replied with shock and horror because he never thought that that would happen. And he just loved the conservationist and photographer that took that photo. So golly gee, if anyone else complains, he'll do something about it. Yes, his response was, wow, I had no idea. If someone complains, I'll definitely take it down because he's a piece of shit and won't just take the damn thing down. But it's cool because you can just complain to HR and he'll do it. Unfortunately, at Techland, the HR manager is the CEO's wife. The wife of the boss is in charge of HR in the most horrifyingly obvious conflict of interest ever. But don't worry. The Techland CEO reported in email when interviewed by TheGamer.com by Kirk McKean a couple days ago. This article is crazy. We're linking it in the show notes. You got to give it a read. Because his response to this obvious conflict of interest is, My wife is a professional and we have a professional relationship at work. Oh, well, that sucks, but they're not in the U.S. Techland works out of Poland. That's not going to affect anybody here. Well, the icing on the fuck your ethical cake is that the person in charge of international marketing for Techland is the CEO's sister. 
Yes, he loves hiring women. Both his wife and sister are in high-level positions at this company. This just reminds me of so many things. We transitioned away from Bioware to talk about this, but the thing that isn't spoken about with Bioware is this shit happened there too that we don't really acknowledge. Not to this extent, of course, but like Mass Effect Andromeda had criticisms for its colonialist fantasies, had problems about being very, very white. And then Mass Effect in general had problems with kind of objectifying when it came to its women characters and they existed as people to romance sometimes only. This was criticism that was given internally there too. That was always just ignored because the old leadership had their way of wanting to do things and they're like, it's going to be like this or, or not. Former senior designer at Bioware, Manvir Air, spoke a lot about how the company had like a culture of a lot of people with lower levels in the company speaking up against these types of things and the higher ups just saying, this is how we're doing things. And this is the exact thing I'm seeing at Techland. However, Techland is a smaller studio that doesn't have large money behind it like Bioware does. So they can't survive shit like that. I feel like personally money can back Bioware up, but Techland is small. Whoa, no game came out that quarter. So Dying Light did super well. We're on the up and coming. But when you're on the up and coming and your organization is kind of shitty, that's kind of how studios fail. So with all this learning about Techland, I feel bad for the people that worked at Techland, but seeing an oppressive structure have problems. It's not a thing I hate. I think a lot of the article also goes into things that are just wild. Like they've brought in several people from big studios to be like, we need to get the production in a pipeline of some kind of order. And Techland's all like, no, we don't need titles. We don't need any kind of structure. Like people can just make the things. It'll come together. But like, how do you just not stop? How do you not? That literally killed Jordan. This is an audio medium, so I do apologize. But just hearing that quote, their eyes just exploded through their glasses no organizational structure what you make so much money what and then you go out and you hire people from big studios to come into your studios and then they they just isolate them out anytime they're like yeah no you need to have people report to people and have people on teams just basic development stuff not to fucking go there but to go there It's just like when people try to say, oh, that's just a bad officer. There's plenty of good cops. It's like, show me how a good cop lasts in this system. I feel bad for the people at Techland that are at the very bottom. Because if you've advanced in Techland at all, it's on the back of either letting this type of shit slide enough to be advanced or partaking in it. Like if you're a manager or hire at that company, I'm going to look at you sideways. Because a lot of people will say, well, I didn't do it. I saw it happening, but I didn't do anything. Or like, I knew other managers were saying stuff like that, but I didn't say stuff like that. I was trying to change it. And quite frankly, I don't believe you were trying to change it that hard if you kept getting promoted in a company that has shown they will ice out people that want to change it. Like, I don't want to be too much of a dick and vilify people, but I think that we have to start making people answer for doing nothing. We've talked about this before on this podcast, but doing nothing is an action. It is a choice. And if you see horrific things like this happening everywhere, Studio Bondi couldn't survive because its turnover got so high that no one would work there regardless of how much money they were willing to offer because the reputation got so bad. If everyone just says, I will not work for you, 
eventually that small company can't continue. Jordan, I think you nailed it. This is a small company. This is the kind of stuff that they either change or they die if you make them. This is the time where you can be like, I can do something. I not, might not be able to like vote with my wallet too hard at Bioware, but you sure as fuck can pressure Techland to make his wife get a job as HR at somewhere else. She has years of experience running HR. These people aren't going to die if they can't all work together and be family in a horrifying conflict of interest. We have to start demanding not only the people doing the bad shit stop it, but the people that allow it by trying to look sideways and convincing themselves that by not doing it, they're changing the percentage of management that's problematic or whatever thing helps them sleep at night and start owning that they're allowing it to continue. Yeah, just on the same vein of studios failing in a lot of different aspects, I wanted to go back over to the Vampire Masquerade developer, Hardsuit Labs, and how their mismanagement of this IP. Like, this was a game that got revealed last year during the Xbox Series X indie, sh- or not indie, but like first game showcase. And it was a game that everyone who saw it was in disbelief because the first game, which is a cult classic, came out and like everyone was surprised that it actually came out because it had a hellish development cycle. Even the finished product isn't 100%. Spencer, I know you were more interested in this IP, so you probably have more to say on the quality of the game than I do, but the development cycle for the second game isn't any better than the first, and it's just disheartening to see the management teams behind these studios treat a great IP so poorly. I looked up the GDC State of the Games Industry survey they do every year at GDC. Yes. Um, They have found that most of the people in the industry have been in the industry for under a decade, is the majority of people. Three to six years is the highest percentage. 30% of the people in the industry have been in the industry for three to six years. I feel that. And then when you look at it, it's like 9% have been in 16 to 20 years, 26 to 30 years, 2%, more than 30 years, 3%. I think you get away with it and it takes so long for studios' reputation to catch up with them because games is such a industry driven by young people that just want to make video games. So they're like, well, we've always got a new crew of people coming out of college every year. Dev studios are Matthew McConaughey and the video game developers right out of dev school or high school girls. And they're like, that's why I love video game college graduates. They stay young and innocent and we keep fucking them over all the same. (laughs) I think the other thing that contributes to that is UC Santa Cruz study of all of Silicon Valley, which included a bunch of major big video game developers. And they make 14% less than they would have made in 1997. 92% of all tech workers in Silicon Valley make 14% less than they would in 1997. Wow. They have figured out how to like squeeze the wages down on all of these people. The thing that's crazy about it is every year the games industry brings in more money. Like we just see keep seeing more money. And then we see things like Blizzard. We're like, we had the best year ever and we fired 300 people. And we didn't stand with Hong Kong. We let more of our stocks be bought by a Saudi crown prince. I have so many feelings about this. Once we brought in the GDC State of the Industry thing, a thing that I look at, read, and critique every year as a person that goes to GDC. The GDC State of the Industry thing, with a bit of a caveat, 
can be weird because a lot of that data is taken from people that went to GDC, which means there's a financial barrier between those people that I can actually afford to get to that place. But it is still a decent enough resource. The three to six year thing about how long people have worked in the industry is very real. You are considered an industry veteran as a developer if you have been working for five years. Because chances are, any longer than that, you'll burn out and, and bounce, or you'll be a part of a predatory practice where, let's name NetherRealm Studios. Yeah. NetherRealm Studios does a thing where they are in Illinois. They are right next to a college. They funnel in students from that college, overwork them, underpay them, burn them out, have terrible crunch culture, and they're in and out within one to two years. And they never return to the industry because when that's your first experience, what do you even want to do? And then because it's also that pinnacle of between tech and arts, like I was saying before, we're fueled by passion. We say, you get, you want to work here? We, we, we got a passionate culture. We need someone who's the first person to come in and the last person to leave. We'll give you lunch at the office and we'll have toothbrushes in our bathrooms because we don't want you to leave. That's what Facebook does. Oh my God, what? That's what Apple does too. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, uh, if, uh, when you go to Facebook, if you go into the bathroom, you'll find a lot of accoutrements like toothbrushes and, and little shaving things for people that stay at their office too long. And this is like tech and games all around. So that's another reason why I'm not surprised when you get these mass closures or mass layoffs or things, because the games industry just uses and churns out talent and then ditches them to the side, or they keep them on until they have nothing left to give it. It shows in the games they get. AAA in general does the same shit all the time and they turn out new voices. And when people are like, ah, I'm going to move away from this, I'm going to start my own indie studio because this is where interesting things are happening. And then they kind of just turn in new people. And that cycle continues and continues for so many different reasons. But then you find that it still only lasts maybe five to six years. I think where I currently work is interesting because I see like anniversaries of how long people have been working. And we have multiple people that have worked there 20 years. I'm like, I live in a fantasy land. I have never met someone who actively has worked any single place in the industry for more than 10 years, really. And then suddenly I'm surrounded by people that have worked there for 20 plus. It doesn't make any sense to me. But that doesn't happen anywhere else. It's just not, it's just not a thing. There's no retirement plan for anybody that is a games developer because games have only existed long enough for people to just start hitting retirement age. Games started in 1976. We just started getting retiring people. So th- there's still so much that we have to learn to maintain a job long enough for people to feel sustainable and stay here for long. That three to six year thing just completely makes sense to me. I was originally of one mind until you started talking, Jordan. I think that's what makes this podcast so beautiful is you and Spencer have just eureka my mind wide into the galaxy brain because as Spencer's describing it, I'm like, wow, I think it's so fascinating. This was my original comment that The culture for games is just like the culture of fast food, of retail work, of any minimum wage job, if you've ever worked one. If you've worked fast food, you know exactly what Jordan just described in terms of the like burnout and rotation. And there's another high schooler fresh out of college. You know, there's another college student that needs money to pay for school. So they'll work this bartending gig and they don't give a fuck what hours you give them or how much do you make them work off the clock or how little notice you have them call in to show up for other people's shifts that didn't show. And you see those burnout rates in the fast food and entertainment industry. And so I was thinking of how interesting that is. And I 
was kind of hypothesizing that it we have this idea that gaming is so niche and when spencer was talking about how games brings in more money every year games makes more money than the movie industry the prestige as we're recording this peek behind the curtain the Golden Globes are happening. The prestige that is given to film that is never given to games. One, because games, I think, still have that, oh, it's a niche thing for dorks. You know, it's like a geek thing. And two, our kind of embrace of that and being like, yeah, we're geeks. We're not high class, fancy Oscar winners. We're just trying to make games because we're geeks kind of reinforces that this is a niche thing that you should be grateful you have a job in. So you'll accept your pennies. And if you don't like them, another 19 year old will. Because we've allowed that mentality to go on, it's created this same culture that happens every time that mentality goes on. It's just hyper late stage capitalism grinding down people at its finest. But then when Jordan was talking about tech culture specifically and the Facebook toothbrushes thing, what the eureka moment for me is that games has taken the worst parts of both aspects of its culture. Games are art and technology. You guys just synergized this perfectly and I just feel like I want to wrap it in a bow. Games is an industry full of passionate people who are desperate to have a job in that industry because they love it. And people at the top who know that and know that when you're in that position and the culture of the industry they're trying to get a job in is this is niche, this is small. We have this almost false sense of scarcity of jobs in the games industry that makes us all chase after scraps because we think that's all there is. When in reality, the games industry is an industry larger than the movie industry, the TV show industry, all the money that people like... You know how much TV writers get paid? You know how comfortably TV writers live? Not in terms of finding job security. Like, those are the same issues in terms of transient development. TV writers have that same, I never know what my job is going to be a year from now. What the fuck is retirement? I live month to month, essentially. But they do it and they get paid. The games industry has all of that problems that art has in that regard. But without the union protections of SAG and without the union protections of the WGA and without the prestige of the Oscars and even the respect of being able to call it art with a straight face. Somehow the games industry has taken the worst aspects of all of the things that come together to make it such a large, beloved, money-full industry and made it the worst possible dystopic late-stage capitalist hell to work in. Why is it shocking that happy, comfortable people are people that are able to produce great art? That's what patronage in the Renaissance was. It was, I'm going to pay so that you can have food and a place to sleep so that all you have to worry about is painting me pretty pictures and writing me charming plays. We understood 600 years ago that to make artists create works of true art they had to have all their basic needs met you know they had to have food and shelter and know that they had those things next week too and it's just it's just a fucking tragedy you brought up a thing that i was going to and i'm going to anyway that's why we just we need unions yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> the games industry does this thing where that identity you're talking about that nerd we're niche identity allows it to ignore so many things we brought it up earlier how it allows it to ignore big military propaganda machines but also, like, it allows us to ignore the fact that we are going through the same problems that other industries before us have gone through. We're young. My dad is older than video games. 
in general. My dad is like significantly older than video, almost double the age of video games. Film went through a period where like film wasn't considered art. Film went through a period where it was turning out people without any unions. And film still sucks. Don't get me wrong. It still has a lot of problems. But those problems aren't there anymore. I don't have to worry about when I start doing like film stuff, I don't have to worry about getting state grants for arts to do my work. But you have to get like specific grants for games. It's, it's a lot of things where like, yeah, we're not considered, but we we have the ability to work to do all that shit anyway. So it, it just sucks that I'm not seeing this happen fast enough. At some point, I'm absolutely going to need to talk about the current movement to get unions in the games industry that kind of went on pause in 2020 to a certain extent. But that will be for a later time. My galaxy brain take is, is that it needs to be an industry-wide thing. People think industry as in like games. I think that if developers, people who make your iPhone apps and people who make Google and people who did all of that, I think if those two industries could look at each other and be like, we have way more in common of what we do, the things that we all need, we would see it move a little faster because games is like so art based. And I think that people want to look at it and be like, well, we can't have SAG. Why not? SAG is continuously growing. I used to be a card carrying member of SAG when I lived in Los Angeles and did events and had to do voiceover work and do other kinds of work. You just had to do it. It wasn't like you're so cool. You can't get the job unless you're a union employee. Like, correct. You can't be non-union and work. That's the yeah. point of the union. I think if video games and tech could look at each other and be like, we have to apply a global rule like SAG or like the WGA or like the producer director's union, all of those unions have the global rule. That's why there was all that turmoil and all those video game writers or video game voiceover artists had a problem when they were going through the after thing because like studios were like, well, we can't follow the global rule because we can't afford to pay the daily rate. Well, that's the daily rate so that people can live and be like. We can't afford to pay a minimum wage, but we want to do this anyways. You can't have a business then. I can't open a business and pay Zyger enough money to live, but I need Zyger to do the work for me. So just make it legal for me to pay him less than the living wage. No, then you don't get the business. Then come back to me when your business can pay people a living wage. That's why opening a business is hard. An excuse. Zyger deserves better. Yeah, I'm going to unionize. At the end of the day, everybody needs to unionize. And I think to be clear, too, when we mean the industry should unionize, it's devs should unionize. It's the games writers. Going back to the conversations we've had before about games journalism, games journalists absolutely deserve a union because games journalists need to realize there is money in the games journalism industry. They just don't want you to have it. Tech writers make a ton of money. I'm sorry. The people at the top of IGN can afford nice things. You know? If the people at the very top of IGN also had Patreons, there's no money in the games industry. But if the people at the top of IGN can afford to comfortably live in SF, there is no reason that the people at the bottom of IGN cannot afford to, like, period, one job afford to scrape by in SF. That's the difference, is if I knew that the people at the very top were also struggling, then there's just no money in the industry. But if there are people who are comfortably living without ever having to worry about money at the top, that means they're not giving the fair share to those at the bottom. Yeah, I'm calling it. We're doing a union episode at one point, just putting it out in the ether. All right. Absolutely. My eligibility carried me through having health insurance like after I moved out of LA. So I still kind of don't have health insurance because the Writers Guild of America 
puts it in the games industry's hands to decide to opt in onto that. So some studios have writers that are eligible to be in the WGA and most don't. And it's not necessarily all like the process of doing that is just confusing in general, but like, it just kind of goes to show that like, it's, it's clearly in our hands. It also goes to show that there's a process. It's, hey, they've already said all you guys have to do is say you want to be a part of our union and there's a union sitting right here waiting. It's even less work than one might want to believe. It's even less ludicrous than one might want to believe because we've literally already been doing it. There's already guilds now for very similar type of work. And all you have to do is say, hey, can we join? The games industry suffers from all of the horrific things that the entertainment industry used to suffer from. And all the stuff it still does suffer from. And we could just skip straight to all the stuff that the rest of the entertainment industry still suffers from. If we could just skip to being just as shitty as, like, Hollywood, that would be a boast. We get the benefit of skipping evolutionary steps because it's, like, a newer industry, but we can see what came before us. That's the point of history. You don't have to repeat it. You can just skip the shitty parts. It's awesome. Every time a war is about to break out, everyone should just be like, is this going to be a war? Yeah. Are like a bunch of people going to die and then nothing really be resolved until a bunch of old white men talk about it for a while? Yeah. You want to just go skip to that last part? I want to see a war happen where it's just people going, fuck you, and then a treaty comes out of nowhere. We could just skip to the treaty. Things would still be shitty, but we could at least skip all of the bloodshed. Yeah, I'd like to skip past the studio era of video games if we could do that, where talent is locked in lifetime contracts. But then you look at the K-pop industry and it's like the studio system's still alive and well. All right. So I think that does it for the quality assurance. Does anybody else have anything they want to add before we move on into free play? Fuck Bioware. Join a union. <laughs> I don't think I'll say it. I was going to say fuck Ubisoft because they have hit every single one of these on the way down. Man, I am destroying my opportunity to get in marketplaces, but I don't care. I don't want to work there anyway. If you're destroying your opportunity to work at a place because you're like, hey, crunch is bad and paying people a living wage is good and also don't harass people or be a bigot. Why do we want to work? Like, why are we protecting these people? Why are we protecting the feelings of the scummy people in the games industry or else they won't let us work in it? Fuck that. How about they're not allowed to work in it because they're scummy? I think that's kind of the thesis of a lot of what we're saying besides unionize but it comes from the same place of i feel like there's a lot of people who like to think that because they quietly in their heads think the right thing they're doing everything they can to make the spaces they inhabit better and that's not actually how it works bare minimum like bare minimum is following the people who are loudly saying the right thing so basically subscribe to our podcast it's praxis that's bare minimum minimum of like actually feeling like you've done something is taking a stand it's like going back to black lives matter at a certain point it's not about you being like oh well i didn't realize that i needed to say i wasn't racist it's like yeah well yeah i guess you do and now that you know can you just say it or jk rowling when it was like can we all just say out loud that we're not transphobic you know can we just show a hands apparently there's way more transphobes than we thought can we just get a quick show of hands and say at least one time i'm not a transphobe great we're taking roll call on who's not a garbage person and sometimes if you don't raise your fucking hand you're not on the list and so i think bare minimum i'm gonna make sure that i at least know you know these studios 
I'm going to do the bare minimum and Google what Spencer was referencing. I'm going to do the bare minimum and wonder why Kaylee keeps making pot shots at Studio Bondi. All I know is that they made that delightful game with Rockstar, L.A. Noir, and then disappeared. I never knew why. Look it up. Look it up. Look up the things that we've referenced if you don't know them and at least educate yourself. Because, again, I don't want to tell you what games to boycott and which games not to and which games are okay to play and which games you should only buy secondhand. I just think that you have a responsibility to be educated about the impact you have on the world. And not being educated about the impact you have on the world isn't somehow superior It's not saying never shop Amazon. It's saying you have a responsibility to know why Amazon is evil. It's not saying never own a Tesla. It's saying you have a responsibility to know why Elon Musk is a supervillain. If you can download this podcast and listen to it, you have the ability to Google Elon Musk emerald mines, Elon Musk child death submarine pedophile controversy, Elon Musk wives, Elon Musk supervillain, Elon Musk Cruella DeVille mother, anything. Google her. She looks like Corolla DeVille. It's great. Google it. You owe it to yourself. You hear it here first. If you don't give this podcast to at least five to ten of your friends, you're not doing your part. You're fucking up. Rate this podcast five stars. It will fix the games industry. Make new email addresses so you can rate it five stars multiple times. What That's are you doing? smart. Leave a review calling Kaylee smart. That's how we know you're listening. Every episode, I'm going to be like, leave a review, and then I'm going to have like a code word. And if you leave a review with the code word, it's how I know you're listening. This code word is the phrase, and the phrase is Kaylee is smart. All right, so we're going to head into free play. We are recording this on the last day of February, and February is Black History Month. So Jordan had a discussion he wanted to have about how that intersects with the games industry. It's kind of weird, too, because I live in the future. Most of this podcast is recorded on the West Coast, but my fourth is recorded on the East Coast. So it's already <laughs> March 1st. Black History Month, come and gone. It's now a retrospective. So I think a lot about how the industry does with regard to Black people, because that's what I am. You know, last week, I think this was last week. Was this two weeks ago? Two weeks ago? Man, time is relative. Niantic came and presented their program for black developers and black studios so i was thinking okay who else is doing well here and what i found is that not enough people now the tabletop industry is doing way better than the digital industry with regards to that because it's smaller niche and therefore it has more opportunities with less money but to be fair like the mainstream games industry doesn't give a fuck about tabletop that's like a different problem right but they're not going to get the press that like a Niantic would get. But other opportunities aren't happening enough. And post 2020, when the games industry finally like collectively realized that black people existed, I need so much more. But I'm going to go and talk about how black people are in the games industry in different places and like just kind of things that I've learned. So the first yeah. thing is a thing that I've learned. Twitch as a platform, Twitch sucks, right? But like, The way that it specifically sucks is that the front page is a ticket to success that is not expressed loudly enough how much it is. I have a pretty good games industry friend, Josh Boykin, owner of Intelligame, streams under Intelligame US, does a lot of great things for the industry. He streams multiple times a week, black man. And when he streams, it's like five to 20 viewers, I'd say, on any given stream. And he was on the front page of Twitch as a part of them showcasing people for Black History Month this week. Five to 20 views. That's his regular. Peaked at 29,000. 
Holy shit snacks. Just being on the front page adds 10,000, 20,000. I can't even do the math how much that exponentially grew his viewer base. And frankly, I can think of a few people that deserve it more, but it just kind of goes to show that black streamers struggle on Twitch so often. And it's not just black streamers. Black streamers struggle. A lot of women struggle. A lot of people of color in general struggle. And Twitch can just decide one day to start uplifting these struggling communities and will be doing as well as the one community that doesn't seem to struggle as hard. I can't seem to think about what community that is. Maybe if you fill in the blank, you'll be able to figure it out. It's been a long day. It's been a long Black History Month. Oh, wait, it isn't. It's the shortest month of the year. Next point. Media and just games, press, and enthusiast media. So I'm talking about your YouTube pages. I'm talking about your big gaming outlets. I'm talking about your games enthusiasts sites that are kind of YouTubes, but also other things. And I'm going to take a step back to 2020. There's this big event that's kind of big, but people don't really understand how it works. And it's called the Game Awards. And last year, the Game Awards did this thing called the Future Class, where it acknowledged that the games industry is a place where it's completely full of white dudes, so straight white dudes. And we don't do a good enough job propping up people from other places in the industry. So we are going to open up this popularity contest, because that's what it was, that shows people from marginalized backgrounds doing things. And I had mixed feelings from it from the very start because it was a popularity contest. And I saw people that opted in that do amazing things, like my good friend Josh Boykin, who didn't make it. And I saw people that didn't do as well made it. But I have no problems just having people of color and marginalized groups get their burn. The reason that I'm bringing this up is because when that happened, I wondered, what is this going to do for these people? How is this going to represent opportunities for them later? I was very skeptical about what it would do. And a good and bad thing came out of that. In that, like, if you look at all the Black media people, the Black enthusiast press, the Black streamers in the future class, they all got a lot of opportunities this month in Black History Month. The other side of that is that the big outlets, the IGNs, the game spots, your entertainment side, your, your rooster teeth, your kind of funnies, your third thing, right? Your third thing. <laughs> they all made a point to showcase way more black people in the industry this year and like put them in their content and all things. But the downside of that is what I'm going to call uh, my black friend syndrome, where all of these groups are so incestuous, right? If you go to one group's content one day and the next one, you'll just see the same six or seven people rotating and rotating and rotating. And I absolutely want those six or seven people to continue getting work. But what it does is that it creates this kind of chosen few like, you know, I got a black friend, put him in this thing, put him in that thing, put them in this thing, put them in that thing. And then so many people in the middle and lower that are trying to get up in the industry, the people that you're trying to prop up that are still kind of working, don't get those opportunities because all the people know the same people. It feels more like tokenizing. Like, I'll be honest, when I see the yeah. same four people, because you say seven, I would go so far as when it turns to like, not just retweeting, but like having on podcasts, I'd say four is a stretch in terms of people I see being rotated on all of the big names. And it's, at first I was like, hell yeah, because you're right. Those people are great and they deserve the platform. And then it's like, do you not have any other black friends? If it's the same one every single time, that's kind of something you might want to think about. And I think what this industry does is it tokenizes and gives a few 
like here's my black friends and then can pat themselves on the back for finding like diversity and there's a difference between tokenization and diversity that this industry is really struggling with it also makes marginalized people seem like a monolith right yeah and then it puts an undue and unfair amount of pressure on the like four or five people who are elevated it weirdly hurts people more in a way you got to have more people on you just have to have you got to have like a diversity of diverse people it, it highlights the lack of diversity instead of making it more diverse if that makes sense even though it literally is more diverse because it's like hey it's not just those four white guys but it's kind of cringe that you have that one phone number in your phone where it's like oh it's february or oh it's june when i first started doing on podcasts it was always you know march at first, I was like, oh, people must know it's my birthday. But then I was like, oh, no, everyone just wants me on in March because that's Women's History Month. So it's like I'm the one girl they knew. Eventually, you pick up on that pattern where it's like, oh, OK, I only get work like one twelfth of the year and we call that progress. And the sad part is it is progress, but that doesn't mean like end of progress, progress complete. So when Dan Stapleton went to say, you know, we would have more black people at IGN, but, you know, we just don't know where to find them. Oh, you still you still got some work to look help me you still got some work finally esports this is going to be a much broader topic than the other ones where i'm not going to get as granular but i think it's very telling that the big esports organizations tsm cloud nine all these other places have so few black people and represent games that don't have a lot of black people that just hasn't changed part of it is like the esports communities with the largest amounts of black people are the ones that make the least amount of money. And part of that is because of accessibility. Fighting games were originally the like most accessible esport because the entryway was a quarter. And then good internet and consoles changed that to where like now the entry level for other esports is a computer, which a lot more people have than consoles. I kind of get that, but even then there's still black people having computers, right? There's still black people playing COD, there's still Black people playing League of Legends, people playing Dota, and I'm not seeing enough growth in the Black people that are in those organizations, the Black women in all of these conversations. Everything that I said, double, triple for Black women. I want to see the industry do better. I don't have a lot of experience in esports outside of OWL, and what really attracted me to OWL was that first season had Mika Barton as a host. I was like, oh my god, a woman in esports. And then she started doing Twitter threads about having bipolar, have bipolar. So then I was like, she does cute cosplays, fell in love with her. After season one, oh, well, you didn't really see Mika Burton anymore. And the same with like Malik Forte, a great host. And he was on the first season of Overwatch all the time. And then it makes me wonder why are the only people that I see from Owl season one through Owl season four, like three of the white guys. Shout outs to both of them. Shout outs to Black Crystal. Shout outs to Serena Simon. Shout outs to Cuddlecore. Shout outs to all the people doing the work out there that are like branching out that are still trying and still succeeding to get opportunities, but absolutely deserve more. And shout out to everybody that I didn't mention, you're still out there and you still deserve the work too. Games industry do better, but not just for us, do it better for everybody else. I wanna close out with this thought with a thing that I that's gonna lead us actually into the next conversation. I didn't mean to just take over that. At the state of play, there was a game that was announced called uh, Shifu. I saw this game and immediately thought, this isn't okay. And it goes back to the conversation that we had last week and the conversation that I am feeling in my bones now as I get my PS5 and I'm playing Miles Morales for the first time. And the feeling of like, who gets to make our games? 
in the new Spider-Man Insomnia game feels different than Miles Morales in the last one. Why? Because they have a black narrative designer working on this one. And that made a difference. A black narrative designer from New York. That made a difference. And I'm looking at this game, Sifu, from Slow Clap. And I see that really representing Chinese culture and trying to, at least in a way. And I was like, something about this doesn't feel right. So I look up Sony Santa Monica, who may go to Tsushima, just to double check. It's like, and I go to Slow Clap and it's like, any Chinese leadership at all? No. Is it all a bunch of white dudes from Paris? Absolutely. <gasps> oh, no. And the same thing is, is just happening over and over again. We need to do better. Maybe more news will come out and you'll find that there are strong consulting groups. But even with that, consulting for a game is still not making a game. It's retroactively seeing a thing that is a ready thing and giving feedback. And then the studio then chooses to take that feedback or not. So we need to do better. The people that make our games need to be representative of the characters that are on the screen. And the characters that are on the screen should look a lot more like the players that are outside of the screen. That is what I have to say to wrap up Black History Month. All right. That was a really good transition into the state of play. That was really nicely done. Look at that. <laughs> so we're going to start talking about the state of play. Start with me. It's hard. I always tell people two things. Don't ever be a photographer. It breaks your brain for light. And don't get into PR unless you want everything ruined. You look at everything in a, a lens of why did they do this? What was this choice? What were these things? Like you can't, like once your brain sees the matrix of it, it just never goes away. All the flack that Nintendo got last week for their direct, they are also a company that is lacking big tentpole games, but they managed to give something to everyone where this direct felt like a company that doesn't have any games coming that knows they're probably going to have to push games to 2022 just being like, well, this is what we got. It's not a lot. This is the second time that Final Fantasy has been the one more thing in a PlayStation. What they're trying to make a direct. You get to do the one more thing with a game like one time. That is definitely like a a one trick pony. PR. They started the state of play announcing information about a ps5 port of a ps4 crash game and i was like instantly oh no oh that's your opener oh we're this this presentation's fucked i i want to come in because i think from the tone of this conversation i'm the only one who has net positive things about the state of play this is all that i want from a thing like a state of play at the beginning of a new console cycle. I want a couple of mentions of games that are on the last one that do better on the new one. I want a ton of uh, focus on indie games that are like triple I indie games that are like things with some budget to them, but are definitely from smaller studios because it then shows that Sony is at least trying to win back the hearts of indie studios again, which it lost at midway into PS4 when they decided they didn't need us anymore. It's propping up these games that would have definitely not done as well if they didn't get this official push from Sony. It's giving us a genre that straight up is just shitted on for no reason, which is the Battle Royale, because Knockout City, that shit is fun. That shit slaps. Five Nights at Freddy's, I don't care for it. But it's like one of the biggest and most popular games on the internet. So a like, lot of people care about it, surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah. I, get, not, like, yeah. I have a very close friend another writer and our designer in the industry who has a 10 year old son. And all he talks about is Roblox FNAF and Minecraft. So that is my 15 year old brother. Those in Pokemon. 
The thing that I didn't like was Deathloop, because why are we still hearing about this game? Just let it come out. It's the same trailer every time. I forgot what that game was. I saw the trailer, and I was like, I still don't know what this game is. The music was cool. It was stylish. But I was like, what the fuck is this game? I don't know why it's called Deathloop. This fails as a trailer if a trailer is supposed to tell me what the fuck this game is. I put it out on the predictions, and I think that Deathloop was on there because it felt like a contractual thing it felt like we have paid for the exclusivity for this so that means that we have to do x amount of like showing this game in our things that comes along with having that exclusivity it really felt like that was it i think the thing i'm most disappointed about is i liked a lot of the games that were shown what i think sony failed to do was put it in everyone's so mad that there weren't wasn't news about Horizon Zero Dawn or when I saw cartoony shit I thought they were opening with Ratchet and Clank and then I realized it was Crash and I thought they were announcing a new Crash Bandicoot and I was like oh shit that's huge and then I realized they were announcing a port of Crash Bandicoot and I was like oh shit that's not an opener that's a second thing it's pretty cool that's the thing I give this like a 6.5 like it was fine I don't think it's horrible because you're right most of the games we saw were groovy they were just fine not a single one was a game for me In terms of what you were saying about Nintendo giving a little bit of something for everybody before and me being like, oh, wow, I actually felt like there was stuff for me at this direct. I got addicted to that feeling. And so I went into this expecting that and I did not feel like they gave me anything. I felt like little Oliver Twist asking for some more porridge. It was really sad for me. Please, sir, may I have an RPG? I think that that was the thing that really felt weird about it. I think we've seen the internet is just not going to accept being like, this is a third party thing. Come watch it. Right. So they like really wanted to put the like power of the PlayStation, like state of play brand behind it. But you're doing games a disservice if you don't have the one or two like things that people like highly associate with that brand. People are going to automatically be like, I didn't see anything that was like, PlayStation. This is exactly know. what you were talking about last week with Nintendo Direct being successful because it had a Zelda thing. It had a Mario thing. Like it has a, a whole Mario game. It had the Zelda Hyrule expansion. It had the Zelda Skyward Sword port. It had the new Mario Sports game. Uh, so it's it had three. and it had Splatoon 3. So it, and it had Smash Brothers. So it had four big things that you relate to Nintendo, even if they weren't huge, some varying degrees of huge, but it, even though they weren't like new game like new flagship game announcements for anything they were still large enough announcements about the flagships that you expect that you were primed to be in a good mood to be open to the rest of the stuff whereas for playstation you kept being like okay cool and then and because you kept waiting for that like sony thing to come you couldn't pay attention almost until it was okay and and what are you gonna show me and it just left you feeling like oh this wasn't a Sony thing. This was like a third-party indies thing. You know, I'm the opposite of Jordan. I, I always feel so bad when you talk about indies because, like, I'm very hard sell on indies. You know that. I very rarely buy or play indie games. I like very large RPGs, and I understand why those are hard for indie people to make. I just don't understand the week, though. Like, I don't understand the beats of the marketing plan for yeah. the week, right? What are you doing dropping a GQ Britain article and a blog post for PSVR. Even if you don't yeah. have anything, just make something. Just do something that gets people excited for PSVR. Because I think if something tangible that was a part of the PlayStation brand had been in that, even if it was just 
a new logo or whatever, bring that in. But you can't have a week where you don't have PlayStation mind share things in your direct. You can't have that the same week you have your CEO out in an interview being like, uh, we don't, we're doing the best we can to get PlayStation 5s out there. We don't want the shortages to be happening. The shortages are happening though. Oh, by the way, we just locked DLC to a console no one can get their hands on. How that marketing plan came together just doesn't make any sense to me. You gotta like have a message yeah. that drives more cohesively than that. It might be an argument about which direct, state of play direct, which direct had better games overall. But I don't think there's much argument about which direct sold it better. If that yeah, I agree with that completely. Like, in my opinion, State of Play as a presentation has never been good any of the time Sony has done it. And I try not to be, like, super biased because I am less of a fan of, like, Sony He's IPs. He's a giant ex-boner. I've never gotten yeah. to call anyone that before. I wanted to get the yeah, I, I won't pretend that I'm a bigger fan of Xbox stuff, but I go into every State of Play hoping to find one game that speaks to me. And in most cases, I do. But if a presentation only has one thing that speaks to me, I think it fails as a presentation. For this most recent state of play, that game was Kenya Bridge of Spirits. I think that game looks amazing, and I'm excited to play that. But it is a cross-gen game. It is a smaller title, and I don't think they gave that game that much of a spotlight during this presentation. It was the thing that they showed right before a way-too-long trailer for Deathloop, and then a I would say like five minute presentation of Final Fantasy. To me, the one game that spoke to me didn't get the screen time I thought it would get, and it got overshadowed by the quote bigger announcements that they had for the showcase, which I feel wasn't paced very well. I don't and think I feel like DLC should ever be considered a thing to start and to showcase with, no matter how big the DLC is. The second thing you show, or the sec, or the thing that is like the psych out finale before the one more thing. Is where, like, this Final Fantasy VII DLC should have gone. Like, it feels like it might be the case. You get, like, weird feelings when you, like, have done and seen how these things come together. Like, it really does feel like we had a 30-minute showcase that probably was 45 minutes when they first sat down and were like, we're going to have this first quarter state of play. It's going to be 45 minutes and, like, 15 minutes of games are just like, we're not ready. We're not ready. We're, we got to pull apart at the end. And they're like, well, here's what we have. Yeah. And I think they wanted on... to get Deathloop out before the middle of March. Because that may doesn't that game doesn't come out till May. So there is like a world where another Sony state of play would like happen in between those or something would happen. I think they were like, we have got to get this out the door before the middle of March and that merger is over because after that we're gonna just act like that game doesn't yeah, exist. Xbox owns them now. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that's a that's a Bethesda game. It is yeah. Arcane. It's an Arcane who did uh, Dishonored, that's what it was. It looks like Dishonored, and I don't mean, like, Dishonored didn't look ugly, but seven years later, if you come out with a game that looks the same, it's not a compliment. I, do I think it's like a cartoony Dishonored. Yeah, it's just ugly. It's cartoony, but in a way that looks like it's held back by the technology, and when you know that it's not, it's like, oh, it's just a skill thing. Yeah, that game does not look pretty. I do want to point out, because it's not a state of play thing, but it's a part of the Sony dump of announcement this week, that Sony continuing and making another VR headset is fucking huge for the VR community. Because I didn't even know that happened until Spencer brought it up. Is this officially Same. the PSVR 2 or what is this? Correct. They are making a new headset that is to be named a thing. I don't know if they gave us name, but like for as a person that's made a VR game, 
uh, and that is like mildly adjacent to that community. With the VR games community's relationship to the greater games industry is the greater industry doesn't care about us. We are actually the niche thing that the games industry identifies itself as. We are that one that's one of the things that's actually niche there because there's a large financial barrier to it. But Sony saying, hey, we're dedicating more resources will absolutely just mean that like people will have food to eat. There are VR game devs that are like, their only reason that if their game is coming out on PlayStation, they got PlayStation money to do it. Therefore, some creative new thing is going to be put into the world as a result of that. And that's not big news. It doesn't deserve to be in the state of play because the great industry doesn't care about it. And everyone collectively eye rolls whenever a VR or mobile thing shows up in any of these presentations, which is another problem. But that was huge to me as like a developer with sympathies and love for the VR world. And I wanted to make sure that we didn't forget to mention how like great that th- that was, even though it's still niche. Yeah, I think Sony, like, because I just looked at the Jim Ryan interview and he talks about it. Dev kits are about to go out, which is why I think they made the announcement. I think Sony is tired or annoyed by the fact that every time dev kits go out or every time anything new hardware wise goes out or gets anywhere past the production chain, it seems to be on the internet within yeah. 30 minutes of them going out. So they want to be the ones that get the thunder for it but then like if you're so worried that you have to be the one that says it then like scream it from the rooftops don't drop it at six o'clock in the morning on a blog post on like was it monday monday or tuesday mm-hmm. yeah they should just get a sock monkey me prepared at all times it works for xbox i'm just saying i feel really bad because the nintendo Direct came out and they worked really hard and it was really long and the playstation state of play came out and you know they worked really hard on that and that was supposed to be a big thing and the only successful conference at getting me hyped as fuck was the Pokemon presentation, which I love because I keep calling it the Pokemon Direct. So Spencer keeps putting in parentheses, do not call it a Direct. They hate it. Pokemon <laughs> hate Company it. hates it. I love it. I'm always like the Pokemon. And I always, I know it's another P word. I'm always like the Pokemon P fuck. And I can never remember their presentation for some reason. So then I panic and I just interact. But the Pokemon presentation that came out was the fucking best, man. It was more new Pokemon Snap, which comes out as of this recording in Jordan's world one month from now. It comes out in April. It's so soon I'm going to die. They announced Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl remakes. They announced Breath of the Wild Pokemon game. That's Pokemon Legends Arceus. Every single thing they announced, I wanted. The Pokemon presentation started with a cute little super fast rundown of all the Pokemon shit that's come out since it was created. And there was so much shit that everything got it precisely two frames going 30 frames per second. Like, it was crazy. And it was so hype and so nostalgia-filled. And I was like, oh my god, I had that. And I had that. Oh my god, is that the Pokemon Stadium minigames? Like, it was an amazing time. It was so fun. It was what I want in a direct... You know, I liked that it was like, you go and you know it's about Pokemon. So saying it was a Pokemon one, I was already super hyped. Because I thought they were just going to announce the next mainline Pokemon game. And that would be it. They talked about four Pokemon games that were not the mainline game. And still no word on the mainline game. Which somehow has me even more excited than if they had just talked about it. It was the best. It was so fun. I cry every time I see the new Pokemon Snap. I cried when it was announced. I cried when I watched it at the Pokemon presentation. Every single time I see footage of this game, I, one, refuse to believe that it's real. Like, a piece of me is like, no, Kaylee, don't fall in love. You can't. There's no way this is real. 
And then another part of me is like six weeks, bitch. My favorite thing about the Pokemon presentation is the actual presentation itself, which I think it does so well. Nintendo and their directs, Sony, the set of play in Xbox and uh, inside Xbox showcases should learn from is how they package the actual presentation. Like Kaylee mentioned, the start of the presentation was just a quick little history of everything Pokemon, starting from the games, going to the manga, anime, and like all the peripherals, all the different side games, everything. Like if you were a Pokemon fan, that first two minutes of the presentation was just nostalgia hit after nostalgia hit. It's like, oh, I remember that. I remember that Scyther game. I remember Pokemon Stadium 2. I remember the scene in the anime, the movies, every little, like, niche little thing, the link cables, every aspect of being a Pokemon fan you experience in that quick two minutes. And that, like, already builds up your hype. And then it goes into the announcements, and I feel like all three announcements were super solid. They were in my opinion, well-paced. They didn't overstay their welcome at all. And, like, the way that they talk about Pokemon in this presentation show that they care just as much as the fans care. And that's why I think this presentation, like, completely outshone the Nintendo Direct and the state of play that we saw recently. It's just a solid presentation where they cared at every aspect of presenting the information to you, the fan. And they got all the right people to do the talking heads. And, like, oh... They showed all the right clips for Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl, and uh, Legends Ar- Arceus? Arceus. Arceus. And it's like, <laughs> they presented the information in a way that was digestible, easy to learn, and like, in a fun way where like, oh, I want more. But the presentation ends like, okay, I still want more information, but I'm happy, I'm excited, I'm hyped. And they le- it's a great way to like key fans energized throughout the entire showcase and i feel like more studios need to like see how pokemon handled this and learn from and how they would package their future presentations i think it's easy for pokemon to keep tight hype filled in things because it's just it's one thing they have one thing they have to juggle right they get to like spend a ton of money making a really cool b-roll intro and then they still just have to just talk about pokemon they do it to varying degrees like one year we was like here's your brushing your teeth app and here's an app that's gonna watch you pikachu's gonna watch you go to sleep or whatever (laughs) and then like here's some shirts and you were just like what am i watching custom okay, shirt all of that okay. was awesome I, I immediately downloaded the pokemon toothbrushing app even though i never have been able to figure out how to brush my teeth in a way that satisfies it i'm still <laughs> waiting for pikachu to learn teach me how to sleep i haven't slept since and <laughs> i want all of those shirts even though they're way too expensive so they're expensive. super expensive they're so expensive i want one patreon.com slash quirk of art i want a pokemon shirt I think that it's easier for studios. I think that's why, I mean, but then you say like Bethesda's like done it good once and then never again. Like they just They did one time, one. they waited until they had a bunch of really good games to talk about and they talked about them and they were like, yeah, everyone loves us. We will never do this again. Well, no, that's what they should have done. They should have been like, we don't have anything to tell you. So yes, we're just not going to show up until we have things to tell you. And I think that that is one thing that Pokemon does good. We see them once a year. There's a Pokemon presentation that's like this, like once a year. And it's not like every quarter we got to come out and tell you, right? Like 
That is the that's one thing. That's what I like. That's what I was saying about when we first started talking about E3, where I don't want to hear from game studios every fucking quarter. I don't need quarterly updates on six-year projects. I need, like, annual at-best updates on six-year projects. Just But you're going to get all those with, drip, like, drip, drips from Pokemon. You're going to get, like, what Pokemon are in this game, right? Like, they're going to go through and be like... I know that's what I'm saying. I don't need any of them. I know. I don't but, like, want it. There are people who do like they like they do it really well in that like they give you this big thing, right? For people who are more casual, right? And then they drip out all this content over the next like all summer we're gonna be hearing about what is new, what quality of life features are coming from the new games into the old game, right? Like is this gonna be a whole Can summer? Pokemon follow behind you? I can't wait for them to tell me if Pokemon can follow behind you. Fuck, they got me again. Damn it, Pokemon. You're so good at PR. I can't wait for the drip, drip, drip. Damn it. They got me. I am always a person who wants more drip, drip, drip. But just because, like, I just always want all the information I can get. I don't have object permanence. So I like not having them talk about things because then I forget they exist. And I don't want to be reminded it exists until I can play it. I don't like the delayed gratification. I'm not patient. I don't like waiting. I hate that I have to wait years for Dragon Age 4 still. I have been waiting half a decade for Dragon Age 4. And every time they bring it up, I'm like, just shut the fuck up until it's about to be playable. Until the year it's going to be released, because it's releasing in November, I don't want to fucking hear about it. Because I'm tired. I'm tired of remembering that there's a game that might exist one day that I'm obsessed with. It is cruel. Do you know what's not cruel? The sleeping chocobo pup plush that square just announced i kind of need it i wanted so bad oh i saw it be... i didn't want to look at the price i'm going to pay sure 400 dollars for a p.o box to justify <laughs> trying to get the internet to buy me this plushie and you can buy this plushie for kaylee because next week we're going to have a persona 5 strikers spoiler cast i also wouldn't be doing my pr duty if i didn't ask you to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, please. It's the single easiest thing you can do to get the podcast to more people. Speaking of PR, hey, Jordan, where can people find you? You can support me by following me on Twitter at Versified. You can also follow my game, We Should Talk, at underscore We Should Talk. There's a likely chance, you know, this. if I was a smart person, I would stop right here and look this information up, but I'm not. Uh, I'm pretty sure that We Should Talk will be on sale this week on steam for 20 percent off and if it's not you didn't hear that here if it's not on sale on steam or if someone uh, doesn't have a computer i didn't have a computer for a long time um can they play your game on anything else yes it is on steam it is on playstation 4 it is on xbox one which i call xbone it is on the nintendo switch and because the xbone and ps4 Games can be played on the series, the Xbox series. What a dumb name for a console. And it's the PlayStation so 5, it's all backwards compatible, people. You can play it everywhere. If you got you a toaster, you got a toaster with a TV. You can plug your console in there and play it on that toaster. Is this the next Skyrim? Skyrim. Damn it. Thank you. Yo, Samsung Smart Fridge, let's go. Yes. <laughs> if I have anything to say about it, it will be. All right, Kaylee, where can we all find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and stuff at quirk of art xd or you can see me live on twitch tuesday through friday uh at quirk of art just twitch.tv slash quirk of art and Siger. 
You can find me literally on any platform at Zyger1337. Feel free to drop any message you want and be nice because other people, Kaylee, bully me a lot. Zyger, how do you spell Zyger? <laughs> We're not doing this again. X? It's literally oh, in, hold the, on. It's in the patch notes with a Z. Is what, like, my mother. I didn't write that. Uh, that, oh, that that's fair. That's fair. My little brother texted me asking something about Zyger once and spelled it Z-X-Y-G-E-R. Like, just his normal spelling, X-Y-G-E-R, but with Z in the front. My mother spells it Z-E-I-G-E-R, and she thought it was his first name, and it was just, like, a foreign thing, and she didn't want to question it. She thought Zyger was... Yeah. I I realize why you're asking now. That makes perfect sense. It is spelled X as in xylophone. There you go. Pick anything. Y as in you. O as in... Why is it you? (laughs) This is what I'm talking about, guys. We haven't talked about this. Why is it you? It was the first Y word that came to mind. I was like, oh, He's an Abbott and Costello skit. I just don't know what to do. I just want people to know that it's with an X and not a Z. That's all I want people to know. I'm trying to help. It's Y like you, you know? Spelling. Yes. Why is it you? God damn it. <laughs> G as in no, giraffe. Not. It doesn't matter. The rest is we. Everyone knows yeah, the, the rest. rest. Is easy. It's just the X. I was trying to. It's with an X, you guys. X gonna give it to you. <laughs> All right. All right, Spencer. Where can I follow you on the internet? I am Miss Nintendeek sixty four. Across all platforms. I'm streaming this week, Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. Saturday, I'm doing a co-stream of Mario Kart, so you should come watch me <sighs> Which get Mario my Kart? butt kicked. Eight. Ooh. Probably 200cc. We haven't worked out all the rules yet, but uh, I'll be practicing on Monday and Is Wednesday. Is the one on the Wii? Oh, no, no. I'm an idiot. Lux. That's a, yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm an idiot. <laughs> um... So, yeah, that's where you can find me. That's going to do it for the week three patch rollout. Subscribe to future patches on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the weekly patch at The Weekly Patch on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or join the QA process in our Discord server. Comments, questions, bug reports, send them to hello at theweeklypatch.com. Links to all of these and more in the episode notes below. Week three patch complete.